0: Well, we've come to uh, the end of our series, You Asked For It, so in February, in February, we, we've put out there to, um, to, to everybody here in church about what do you want us to speak about, and we got all these kind of questions, and for the last four weeks we've been responding to all these questions, and there's so many more questions that we never got to, so today we've got a panel, which is why we've got all these chairs, so this is not your normal Sunday where you hear a message, you're going to have a panel, and we're going to be responding to uh, these last bits of questions that we never got around to. There's a whole bunch more. We're going to try to get through as much as we can. So we've got a great team who are going to join us on stage. We've got Pastor PJ, who's our pastoral care pastor, Pastor Yalta, um, as well as Mike, who's one of our elders. He's also part of Creation Ministries, um, keynote speaker. And we have Elliot, who uh, is uh, one of the uh, with theological uh, machines uh, from a come on, Come on up team. Join us on stage and we're going to be responding to some of your, your questions. And so we're going to get straight into it. So these are the questions that were submitted and we're responding to them and, um, and we're going to respond to them as faithful as we can according to scripture. Give my time already. Three minutes. And here we go. Here's one of the first questions that, that were submitted to us and the question is this. Are we supposed to be vegan. That's right. This isn't our question. This is Someone requested this question. So are we supposed to be vegan? And um, I'm going to hand over to Dr. Michael Cook.
1: Thank you. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a doctor.
1: But um, this is a good question. I'm also tying it in with another one we had. Somebody gave a very open question. Anything from Leviticus. Okay, so that's a good opening. So I want to tie together veganism, you know, vegetarianism, and We're also Leviticus. So let's get underway with this. And so I wonder, it's important to define, we're talking about veganism, what veganism actually is. So from Wikipedia, you know, the founder of all knowledge, it says, veganism is the practice of abstaining from the use of animal products, particularly in diet. And it's an associated philosophy that rejects the commodity use and status of animals. Okay. So we're looking at veganism as not just vegetarian diet, but it's also the strict vegan will. um, not use honey or unfertilized eggs or wool or milk or anything like that, okay? So that's giving a quick framework. So going back to Scripture, how do we frame this and what God's Word says about our diet and how we should treat animals? So from Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 to 30, this is where God, He created everything perfect. So in the beginning, God designed the world to be uh, with no bloodshed, no disease, nothing horrible. We hadn't evolved from some ancient... uh, uh, an ape-like creature. And here it says clearly that God has said that everything, everything on the earth ate vegetarian food. You know, I've given you every green plant for food, and it was so, it was very good. So here's God, his design was that everything, every creature would be vegetarian, no carnivory. Then, of course, we get the fall, and uh, death and suffering, bloodshed came in, animals started killing each other. And it wasn't until after the flood, when Noah and his family came off the ark, that then God gave a promise and he blessed Noah and said, you can go out into the world. So in Genesis chapter 9 we move ahead to that and here's God blessing Noah and his family and said be fruitful multiply and fill the earth and it's talking about the fear of man shall become across all animals and so on and it said every um, moving thing that lives upon the earth shall be food for you as I gave you the green plants I now give you everything so here's God saying in a fallen world this is not my design but I now give you permission to eat things other than um, yeah, plants. So I guess God is affirming that carnivory is actually okay although it's not the way he designed it. Right? So that's the framework for vegetarian diet. So when you think about uh, Daniel and his friends in the Old Testament, they went into the king's court and they were offered all the choice foods but they actually decided to abstain from the rich foods and they, wanted, they ate a vegetable diet and they actually prospered. They did really well. And so you know, for health reasons or whatever reasons people can have a good vegetarian diet and prosper and do well. So that's another thing. So we have a choice. Eating meat is permissible in God's uh, plan, but also vegetarianism and so on for health reasons is good as
0: well. So we can keep chicken on our lunch for tonight. Uh, for, for lunch. If you, lunch. you like, yeah, yes, I'll bring on to that. Yeah. KFC, yeah. <laughs> All right. All good.
1: <laughs> so moving on then. So one of the key things is with uh, veganism is, again, I'm talking about strict veganism. I'm not, I'm not a vegan. I'm understanding it fully. But my understanding is that animals, it's this thing about commodity status. Should people own animals? Should people tri- you know, use animals in any way at all? And strict ve- veganism will actually elevate animals to a status parallel with people, an evolutionary idea that they're our cousins. We've all evolved together and therefore it's wrong to actually treat or use an animal in any way you know speciesisms we treat dogs we use them as pets and we use cows for milk and meat that's wrong so this extreme idea is that humans we're just another species and we actually need to treat all our fellow creatures together so that's you know i have to ask very
0: extreme it
1: is yeah when you start to go down so if you're a vegan that's that's great but i'm asking what's the motivation for what you're doing okay so it's an open question between you and God, but scripturally I don't think it says that veganism is mandated by God. It's permitted, absolutely, but what's your motivation yeah. for doing it?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I love animals. I love bacon, steak. Oh, sorry.
1: sorry. Okay. But it's really important, though, we're not to, if you've got that other scripture, Proverbs, it talks about even the righteous has regard for his beast. So yes, God said we can steward and care for and use Animals and so on, but we have to treat them with respect, you know, not abuse them and, and so on. So, some choices for um, diet and so on against factory farming, or whatever, that's fine. Okay, so we have to be good stewards of, of animals as well. Yes. So, just finishing off with this thing about how we treat people who think differently. So, in Romans, we actually um, bring that up, Crystal. Yeah, Romans 14, it just talks about as for the one who is weak in faith. Now, this is not talking about because you're a vegetarian, you're weak in faith. Um, I'll explain that in a moment. Just welcome him not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. And it says, okay, so let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the other. See, so the key thing is that we all do what's right in our own heart and our own belief system and we respect each other's views. So if somebody's a vegetarian or even a vegan, that's fine. Mm, Absolutely. And vice versa, if somebody eats meat, that's fine for them. So we don't want to cause people to stumble. Yeah. A Mediterranean. Mediterranean. yeah, whatever. Or Piscatarian. Okay, so that's the key thing. God said, yes, it's permissible, but you need to do what's right in your yeah, own heart absolutely. and not cause somebody else to stumble or to bound them around with a legalistic framework. So the key thing is, I think, yeah, um, it's between you and God. And just hopefully you think it through, why am I doing what I do? Why do I make the choices I do and leave it to him?
0: Well, thanks so much for rounding that up in three minutes. So, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, any, any response from the, from the panel? Uh, oh, yeah. My, my on Yes?
2: Um, I know of people that um, they do it because out of worship for God. Um, not because the Bible tells them so, but it's their personal relationship with God, and they believe because of that they, um, they want to be a vegan or need to be a vegan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if the, if people use vegan as part of the worship, and that is great. That's awesome. Fantastic. Well, we're going to go to our next question, which is one that was submitted, is how do we recognize, recognize a cult or cults? So um, PJ, Pastor PJ, is going to respond to that. And So I thought, PJ, maybe you can explain what a cult is before you yeah.
2: Well, a cult usually starts with a very charismatic leader, and it's usually male. Um, they think or believe that they got special spiritual powers or special revelation and so they ask people to follow them the man or the woman not God and although they um, have the word of God in their teachings and all of that but they have their own added doctrine or their own added teaching which they elevate about the word of God Uh, many um, main religions that we know, started off like a cult, very small, and you will be surprised how many cults there are, because they are secretive, um, and, and sometimes they haven't got that many followers, because they follow the person, not God. Um, they are very exploitive, they exploit your finance, they exploit your relationship with your family, uh, they uh, try a lot of control, especially your mind. Um, a lot of have tos, lot of have tos, because you have to do all the, all those works have to, and a whole lot of don'ts. Uh, so that means uh, you gain your salvation, or uh, the salvation of the person who is the boss, um, by works, and there is no grace. Um, if you look up cults on the, on on uh, Google, you will find there are some disastrous cults has happened over the years and sometimes it's so dangerous that people uh, die, or not one person but a whole cult dies because they believe they got this special revelation of God um, to do things or to be things, uh, anyway it's dangerous uh, so what do we do when somebody asks you to join a group with a very charismatic, very influence- influenced person Um the best thing for us to do is think, what do they think about God? Who is God? What about Jesus? What about the Holy Spirit? And where does the word of God stand? And so I got this scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, it said yeah, that Christ died for us. Yes. He died for our sins. He was put on the cross. He was buried. And he also, he raised from the dead the third day. And um, because some cults believe that um, he died, but he would never appear again after he was resurrected, and we know from the Bible that he did. He he uh, he came to the twelve. He came to to many. And Jesus was seen after he was resurrected, and so um, and second coming is a big thing too. Uh, some cults um, predict a date. Some people believe that in 1914 that uh, Jesus had his second coming, and now he is uh, he's unseen in our world. It is a very well-known religion who believes that. So for us to really know your uh, your Bible, know who Jesus is, what he's done for you, and uh, and that helps us to discern to not be deceived.
0: Amen. Well, that was really good. Three minutes. Wow. Well done. Fantastic. So far, PJ's got the record. I was saying for three minutes. Uh, so, uh, panel, would you like to respond? Any, any, any other
3: thoughts? Yeah. Look, um, I think uh, cults generally, uh, you know, revolve around a few things, and and the, the biggest thing is it's always works based. So you have to work your way into some sort of salvation or some sort of afterlife um, experience, uh, which is really the defining factor between Christianity and any other cult is that it, it's uh, by grace that we're saved through faith, the Bible says. So um, there's nothing we can do in ourselves to obtain salvation. Um, so that that's that's the big thing for me. Um, and also, I mean, hey, look, cults are just freaky. Yeah. Um, you <laughs> know, I don't want to be a part of freaky. I know I'm freaky enough without a cult being involved. Actually, right? Elliot
0: is really freaky if you know him, so. Fantastic. Uh, okay, let's just go right. Well, Elliot, um, this question is our, we're going to number three, and is this defining the heart of worship? And um, I'm going to be handing that over to my freaky friend, Elliot. Heart of worship.
3: Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> I mean, worship's a, a, a personal thing. Um, there's so many scriptures you could put up about it, but I just want to be sort of heart to heart with you how I see it. Worship is, is individual. It's also corporate, but it's us coming vulnerable it's us um, coming with what gifts and uh, who we are um, before God and using those gifts. That's, and, and whatever that gift is can be your worship. So, for example, if we look in the Old Testament in Nehemiah, he came out of the courts of the king. He went and built the walls of Jerusalem. So this guy was an engineer, right? Um, he used his gift to rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem. Um, you know, for you... Um, it could be a vocation for you. It could be uh, just being hospitable, you know, being kind to your neighbour, dropping them off a cake. Maybe someone's had a baby down the street. I mean, it's not just about lifting your hands in church um, during a worship service um, or during a Sunday. But in, in, on the side of that, to me, though, I still believe... It's a lifestyle. That, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is a lifestyle. But I still think the deepest thing as far as, as for us individually as worshipers, is entering god's presence yeah um you know king david said this that it's better to be uh you know one day in your courts is better than a thousand outside mm. and what and i think what he meant by that is is one day of seeking your face of being vulnerable before the master and the creator of exposing the sin and the fault in your life and saying god i can't do this on my own you know i mean i think worship in its essence is being honest you know, being honest and coming before God and saying, hey, look, you know, I'm struggling like the rest of us out there. Um, I'm just bringing who I am. It's not coming all sanitized and clean mm. and perfected like a Sunday morning. It's just coming like you got out of bed on a Monday morning. You know what I mean? A little bit scratchy, you get the teaspoon, get the sleep out of your eyes. <laughs> you know, maybe you don't, but I do. Okay. Um, That's why I didn't use the teaspoon at yeah, house, yeah, 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 manicured hair, you know, all these things. Um, so it's just becoming, coming real, coming vulnerable, uh, being honest, and just serving with whatever gift you have that's naturally within your life. So that, to me, is the heart of worship.
0: you still got, like, 40 seconds left. Well done. Well, let's go to the panel. You've got 40 seconds, panel?
2: I think, I think sometimes you can narrow it down, like, whatever we do, we do it unto the Lord. And whatever that is, you know, we have all have full lives, but whatever you do... And whatever God has called you to do, even if it's cleaning toilets sometimes, do yeah, it unto the Lord. That's right. And that is, uh, yeah, I find that the easiest way of understanding that everything I do, I do it unto the Lord.
0: Very good. Fantastic. Look at that. Three minutes even response from the panel. That's really good. It's because I bring no scripture into it, you see. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was so good till you said that. No, it's just kidding. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Now we're going to question number four. Define, uh, getting your house in order. Getting your house in order. And we're going to hand that over to Pastor Yalta. Yes.
4: <laughs> no, no. It's, um, I'll start with a reading from 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. It says this In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord Set or get or put your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Well, I can tell you now, we will all die one day. Okay? <laughs> well, that's that's a certainty we have. Uh, it's just a question of when and where and how. Uh, so, what does it mean to get your house in order? Well, I looked at it briefly from two aspects. There's the, the, the first one is, is a really practical thing. Uh, if you're in a, in a relationship, in a married relationship, uh, so maybe this is not so much for the, the younger generation. This, this part, but first thing I always, I work in the hospital as most of you know and I assess older people and I always have one question which says, have you got enduring power of attorney in place? Some people have no clue what it means so I explain a little bit and then most people say, oh, I have a will, I said, no, that's different. A will comes into effect when you're dead, okay? Keep that, that's how it is. So I will not explain what an enduring power of attorney is. You can ask me that after the service if you want to. But it's a very important thing to have. And so PJ and myself, we went to our lawyer a couple of weeks ago, because I've been telling other people to have this. (laughs) And we haven't got it. So so finally, we went to the lawyer and, and so it, it's a lot of paperwork, but that is fine. And then, of course, you pay the lawyer. That's always the, the thing as well. So anyway, this it's, in, got it. it's in the process <laughs> of getting it sorted. There's also, you know, have you got a will? A will is also an important thing to have. And it doesn't matter if you're married or unmarried, you know, who will get what you got when you're dead? Yeah, got that? Great. Uh, Have you got your finances in order? You know, there is still a lot of people who uh, can do a lot better in that area. We're running a CAP course again, not starting this Tuesday, but the Tuesday after, so three weeks. If you want to know more about money and finances, come see us. So that's practical stuff. Get that sorted. You know, don't wait, because I've seen too many people and it's too late. There are fights within families then, there are arguments and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Then it's about maybe a spiritual thing or relationship-wise. Again, I've seen, and I've been with a lot of people, I've been nursing 40 plus years, I've seen too many people who are dying and they're battling and they're struggling because they still have unresolved issues with relationships. Mm. I haven't spoken with my son for 30 years. Oh, why? I can't remember. Wow. Something happened, and there is still this unforgiveness. There mm. is, you know, still stuff sitting there. So, again, you know, if there's anything like that, get it mm-hmm. sorted. You know, do something about it. Uh, you know, get right with Jesus. That's the other thing. You mm. know, some people. Yeah, they, they, they're they on the deathbed, and they're battling, they're fighting, and you know it's not just family, but it's a spiritual thing. I have led people on their deathbed to Jesus, mm-hmm. because it's never too late. And uh, But, you know, don't wait, because we don't all die nicely, okay? <laughs> I mean, sounds funny, but, you know, people die in car crashes and other accidents. And yeah it's yeah then you i don't know maybe people can still call out to christ then but you know get things sorted that's my message really get things sorted practically that's... emotionally spiritually relationship wise okay.
0: that's well done. it that was really good i'm give giving a hand for that that was fantastic <laughs> uh, i won't give that out to the panel because i think you answered it all that, that's fantastic it's probably quite phenomenal i'm going to get straight into the next one Number five, spiritual warfare. Spiritual spiritual warfare. Um, And I'm going to reply to this. So I'm going to try to do it within three minutes. This is very complex. Very complex, and there's a lot in it. And I'm going to speak really, really, really fast and give a really, really brief overview of it. Are you ready? Okay, anyway. Spiritual warfare. Let's get in three minutes, see if I can do it in three minutes. These guys are doubting. But anyway. I have faith. Anybody have faith? Who thinks I can do it in three minutes? Oh man, you have a lot of faith. That's incredible. (laughs) A lot more faith than I do. But anyway, really. (laughs) Here we go. Spiritual warfare. time timer now. Spiritual warfare uh, is about the spiritual rebellion of the sons of God. The sons of God, the Elohim. The Elohim are the spiritual beings. God loves to delegate. He delegates authority to humanity Um, uh, during the creation story, to humanity, to to rule with him here on earth, and and then we mess that all up. And he also delegates authority to the spiritual beings, his spiritual spiritual family. We're his earthly family. He's got a spiritual family, the Elohim, the spiritual beings. Um, And so we've got these two realms happening. We've got unseen realm, and we've got the seen realm that's happening at the same time. And so Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses says this in verse 8. When the Most High gives to the nation their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders. When He set up the people groups, He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of sons of God. Okay, this is talking of the Elohim. To how many people groups there are, to the number of Elohims there were. And He put them in charge of these different um, people groups. These different people groups. But the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob, that's Israel, his allotted heritage. Okay, so all these different people groups, God put his spiritual beings, delegated authority to these spiritual beings um, to, um, to, to rule and to um, bring his peace and justice down to those people. But he, he saved Israel for himself. This is what it was, and this is where things get tricky. This is where we get the spiritual warfare, the fall of the Elohim's, okay, the fall of these spiritual beings, and and because there's three rebellions in the Bible, we're gonna get really fast now. Three rebellions in the Bible. Um, the first one is Adam. Adam rebelled. Um, he wanted to be like God himself. The second rebellion is found in Genesis chapter six, and it's the Elohim's rebelling against God, these spiritual beings, and they they fell in love. They they saw the woman of the earth as being very beautiful, and they had sex with them, and then they they created these. These demigods, half-human, half-spiritual half, human, half, half spiritual beings called the Nephilim, the giants. And then what follows is the, is the flood. And this is God dealing with this gene pool area, the flood. And God says in Psalms 82, this is talking to the rebellion because he's had enough of this rebellion. And there's a third rebellion is... Is the Tower of Babel. I'm, I'm losing really badly on this time. Is the Tower of Babel. is the third rebellion, and where the humans wanted to be like God, go up into God. So God said, you know, I've had enough of that. And he turns humanity over to their desires, and he and He said, so, okay, you, you let these spiritual beings rule you. Let them influence you in, uh, in a negative. In, in a negative. You, you do this then. And he hands us over to them. And so in Psalms 82, he's had enough of this rebellion, and he begins to... It so begins to speak in verse 1 of Psalms 82. It says, God has taken His place in the divine council in the midst of the gods, in the midst of the Elohim. He holds judgment. So he's now He's judging these fallen Elohims. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And so these Elohims are influence humanity and say, now, instead of worshiping God, worship me. Okay, there you go. I failed. So thank you for your faithfulness, but who said, hey, faith in me. Um, so... And, and so uh, you know, we're supposed to be pointing them, but they're pointing their worship to themselves and, and all these things. And even today it's happening to the, well, the sex industry, money and all these things are pointing the worship to ourselves. And these influences are still happening today, these spiritual beings. And it goes on to verse 6. I said, you are gods, you are Elohim, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and for like any prince. Arise, O God, judge you, for you shall inherit all the nations. So he takes back all the nations. He takes all back that that are delegated to the spiritual beings. And you know if, if you're familiar with Daniel chapter ten, um, you, you, there's this interesting story where Daniel's praying and it's taken 21 days before the angel Gabriel arrives. and said, look, I could have been here earlier, but the spiritual prince, the prince of Persia, stopped me from coming to you. And it wasn't until the archangel Michael came and helped me that I was able to get in. Talking about these territory princes, these, these Elohim that they've been fixed, these, these, fallen, these fallen, this rebellion of the Elohim, the spiritual warfare that's been going on. The apostle Paul picks this up. This is my last verse. we landing in the plane. The Apostle Paul picks up this and he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. On the cross, God disarmed these spiritual rulers, these Elohims, these fallen. He's taken away their power, meaning that people have the power to turn their backs on them and turn their, their eyes back on God again and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross on the cross see we have no authority over these spiritual beings we've got no authority over them whatsoever but you know what we do have the authority of we have the authority to 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 call to the one who does and that's Jesus we call on the authority of Jesus to come against the principalities he has the power he's taken away the authority so we so we go so when when we get into spiritual warfare it's not about uh, uh, it's not us coming being all macho or anything like that it's about calling on the one who can and that's Jesus Jesus, has, has all, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in the Great Commission. This is what he's talking because he's taken aback. All that authority has been given to me. So the, these spiritual forces have no authority. Jesus has all the authority. So when we have these kind of spiritual attacks, we go to the one who has all the authority. That's Jesus. Spiritual warfare. Oh, my goodness. Ah, that's a very quick overview. Oh, yeah, very quick, and there's lots in it. But anyway. Exhausted after that. Okay, let's go (laughs) into. Let's go to number six. I
3: was going to say I'm
0: slightly exhausted after that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone else exhausted? Okay, here we go. Here we go. We're going to go number six. Prayer intercession. Prayer intercession. All right. Well,
2: we all. We are all called to pray. That is uh, part of our relationship with Christ. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6 "It's not uh, if you pray, but when we pray." So, and He also taught us to pray. And the and, uh, big thing is that um, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is really major. Um, but intercessory praying is, is quite different. We're not praying so much for ourselves, but we are praying uh, for a situation, for another person. We're praying for a city or for a nation. And we find many examples in the Bible of people who were interceding like that, uh, like Abraham, like Moses, um, I think Esther did for her nation. Uh, called a whole lot of people to intercede with her. Uh, we know that Jesus was an intercessor. Um, and he is, he still is, but when he was on earth, he was interceding for us and his church and for his disciples. And so it is, um, we have maybe all moments or times when God calls us to intercede for a situation or a person or something. Uh, Yalta and myself have many times for our family or for other situations, for church, and, uh, and then together we're believing for God for breakthrough. And, and sometimes it all lifts; it's all over. Um, then we don't feel that urge to pray. But there are people in our midst; um, they are really praying all the time, praying without ceasing. They are those people. They have this call uh, to be the watchman or watch woman uh, to to uh, stand in the gap um, for that. And so the scripture did. this reading is, I urge you, first of all, that petitions and prayer and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, all, not just for a few, for all people, for kings and for those in authority, and that we uh, live a peaceful life and have a quiet life. And sometimes, uh, some situations, we actually don't know how to pray but as soon as we start to pray and acknowledge God that He is far bigger than the situation, then the Holy Spirit is helping us. And that is just such a beautiful thing. It says in Romans 8, for 26, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray, but the Spirit in the for us with groaning and deep words. And I don't know if you've ever been in a, me- in a prayer meeting like that. Uh, there is a lot of groaning and people are just crying or wailing uh, because they don't have the words to express or uh, feel the sorrow or the pain or uh, for salvations, for souls, over, over nations. And, and, and the Spirit can groan in us because we don't have the words. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus is still our, our intercessor always. Yeah, come on always and always, and he he has not asleep day or night, he's always awake. And so if you have this, maybe you have this moment or urge that you really feel called to pray for something or a situation of church, you know, just go with it. Usually it is in private. I believe many of our intercessors, you are here, but you do it in private because it's obviously quite often a private call. Um, I believe that our men's prayer meeting, um, which is on Wednesday, if you are here uh, a male and you want to learn about praying, uh, I, I encourage you to join our uh, men prayer meeting. And I believe that they are our intercessors for us, for you, for me, for our church, uh, to see breakthrough, praying for souls. I just encourage you, if you are a male, you need to go there and be part of it, because that is the fuel to the engine
0: of church. Come on. Fantastic. Give me a hand for that. Okay. Have you got room for one more? Got room for one more? Okay. If if you need to go, you're more welcome to go. Uh, We won't judge you. We'll just watch as you leave. No, just kidding. We're not going to do that at all. <laughs> <laughs> but but you feel free, Athena. Uh, we have gone over that, what we would normally go. But let's answer one more. There's actually a whole bunch we're only meant to get through. Let's answer one more. Here we go. And this is this question: Should Christians should Christians support Israel? So I'm going to hand that over to Mike.
1: Okay, this is a good controversial question, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, very. Controversial. I'm going to quickly um, frame it first of all by saying that I met my beautiful wife, Desma, in Israel okay so Ooh. israel is a special place to us we've been there four times over the years and um yeah, it's a complex place and in the world of politics spiritually and so on a lot of people don't realize how small the, the current nation of israel is it's only the area of the waikato amazing isn't it Yeah. and so it, you know punches way above its weight but there's a lot of complexities and most israelis are actually quite secular so it's not you know a godly nation overall but i think you know looking at scripture and looking at god's purposes I think there's a mandate for us to be aware of what God's doing in the Middle East. You know, there it seems to be such a central focus on that. I just want to cover a couple of scriptures quickly, looking at the bigger picture of God. And Ant's pulled out the thing about Jacob, you know, he set aside uh, his, uh, Jacob, Israel. There's something special about that people group, fallen as they are, in God's eyes. So uh, in Genesis chapter 12, we see God giving an everlasting covenant to Abraham. And he said... Um, go go from your country to your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you I'll make of you a great nation I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I'll bless those who bless you and I'll those who dishonor I will curse and to you all the families of the earth shall be blessed okay so it's again in God's name God's honor no matter how much Israel sinned and fell away and went into exile and everything God's purposes have always been there and so yeah right through the nations and of course the messianic line leading up to Jesus in due season came through that messianic line of the Jews the Israelites right through so they're not perfect at all but God had his purposes to in due season to bring redemption to the world through Jesus Mm. and so that's special and then if we look to the New Testament we're talking about the whole idea of our Judeo-Christian heritage about how spiritually we're linked together. So some people say, well, Israel, they sinned, they were the Christ killers, God's finished with them, and now the church is the new Israel. Well, I think it talks clearly in scripture that's not correct, that the Jews and the the, the Christians, the Jews are still waiting for their Messiah, so they they need to accept Jesus as their Messiah. But that whole root of the Old Testament, God's teaching is very, very strong. So in uh, Romans chapter 11, we have the scripture using the, the analogy of an olive tree And it said, of some, the branches were broken off, talking about the the Jews being sent out into exile. They're being dispersed because of their sin, because of their rebellion. And it says, although you are wild olive shoot, i.e. Gentiles, non-Jews, were grafted in. You know, Paul preaching to the Gentiles. And so we've been knitted in as Christians, knitted into the root, that, that Jewish root of the Old Testament, the scripture of God's purposes. Um... You're grafted in among the others, and we share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it's not you who support the root, but the root who supports you." And so, yeah, it's a difficult one. I know there's a lot of politics, things that happened over the years, but for me personally, the miracle of the um, nation of Israel being born in uh, May the 14th, 1948, all the things led up to that coming out of the Holocaust. Yes, there were things that happened, things that politically, there's been people dispersed, there's been dislocation. it's, you know, there's a lot of things that are humanly based, but I see supernatural things that have happened. And the nation of Israel is, is a real blessing to the nations in industry, in irrigation, in medicine, technology. Many of our modern inventions come out of Israel in Jewish thinking. So there's that thing that Jews are not perfect, but God has got that blessing. All the nations of the world will be blessed, but we also need to love you know, um, the Palestinians. Many of them are Christians and they've suffered. The whole thing that's so a complex situation there's a lot going on so we need to look to god look to his purposes pray for the whole region and realize that um, god is sovereign and we need to honor and support and love those who love yeshua or jesus or isa in that area
0: yeah absolutely thought, it's sorry. a very controversial subject and there are different points of view to this um, like for instance the a um, lot of christians believe the palestinians need to leave israel that land uh, but also the biggest, the biggest Jesus-professing people in that land, who live in that land, who profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, are Palestinian Arabs. The biggest uh, portion of Christians in that land are Palestinian Arabs. So here's the here's the thing: Do you tell them they must leave the land, or are they grafted in? Are they part? Is it about is the church? Is it about Israel and the church, or is Israel an ethnicity and the church is about new creation? and uh, so it's bigger, it's bigger than that and uh, is God coming back to inherit land or is he coming back to inherit the world and it's, so it's bigger, bigger than that, it's, uh, it's, it's complicated and uh, we haven't got time for that here and uh, for that kind of discussion but I hope that gets your, gets your mind thinking about the thing, there's different views and different ways of looking at all these things and so anyway, well done team, give the, give the panel a hand, do so well